Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvroski. On this week's episode, we are joined by the author of The Ultimate Assistant and TEDx speaker, Bonnie Lowe Craman. We talk about the gap between when people become managers and when they receive leadership training, the real reasons why people quit their jobs, and what executive assistants want from their leaders. This is an incredible episode, and there is so much in this that we as leaders need to understand when we're leading people. So definitely check this one out and definitely share this with any leaders in your life. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders who turn their teams into happy high performers that achieve their goals. So if you're looking for any leadership development training, one-on-one high-performance leadership coaching, keynote speaking, psychological safety assessments, DEI, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com. You can check it all out there. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And here's the episode with Bonnie Lowe Craman. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, the ying to my yang, Susan Hobson. Susan, how are you? I am fabulous. The sun is shining in Toronto. I got lots of vitamin D out of my run this morning. So I am filled up with octane and ready to introduce our guests. So let's go. Let's get this party started. Let's get this party started. And I want to, obviously, we have to start with a quote. And so today I have a quote from Carl Jung. And he says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Oh, <laughs> such a good one. As always, <laughs> you selected that quote, sir. It's what we do, right? And it's always why we start with emotional awareness and digging into the mindset because we subconsciously have a lot of patterns going on that we don't necessarily know. And obviously, Carl Jung, one of the leading psychologists, would know this, right? And as we start to bring those to the forefront, we can start to make choices for ourselves that we want to happen. Mm -hmm. And you can only do that through the light of our conscious, mindful awareness, right? So that's obviously why we're such big believers in the power of mindset, especially as it pertains to leadership. Absolutely. And we have a special guest today, a TEDx speaker, someone who also goes at the leaders from sometimes the people who are the actual leaders of the organizations, from the executive assistants, and those people that sometimes are the unsung heroes. We have Bonnie Lowe Craman with us today. Bonnie, how are you? I am great. So delighted to be here with you, Rob and Susan. Thanks for thanks for joining us. And Bonnie, you know, we talked a little bit about it, right? Like you work a lot with the EAs of the world and people who make a lot of the things happen. Do you want to tell us like a little bit about yourself and how did you end up in this career path? 
Yeah. I, my work now is that I train high level executive and personal assistants all over the world. I have done this in 14 countries and 38 states. And I know that because I counted in a million <laughs> years, I never thought that this work training assistants in support of their leaders would have this much driving need around the world. But there it is. Um, I began my career as a personal assistant. I supported the Oscar-winning actress Olympia Dukakis for 25 years. And I never imagined that our work together running the theater that she was running in northern New Jersey would have such longevity. But like most partnerships between leaders and assistants, it always came down to the need. She needed someone to help organize her busy life, and I needed work. And ideally, and it was a wonderful partnership. And so some of the trainings I do are literally called building the ultimate partnership. You know, from that work with Olympia Dukakis and her husband, actor Louis Zorich, I wrote a book called Be the Ultimate Assistant and started a class called Be the Ultimate Assistant. In large part, because I looked around thinking, where are the resources for this group of people, which is a huge group of professionals in the United States and around the world, uh, executive assistants, administrative staff, but there were very few resources for us. And I think this will be useful for your audience is that early on in my work with Olympia, and who was, it was so obvious she was such a talented actress. My question for me became, how can I become as great an assistant as she is an actress? And that is, was the triggering question that led to everything else that came along. So that's, that's what's keeping me out of trouble these days and, or maybe into trouble. Uh, I'm working on my second book, Staff Matters. It's what it's called. And, and uh, I'm very passionate about the, this, the project and looking to have that published by the end of 2022. Can you tell us a little bit more about that mission that you're on currently and maybe a little bit about the TED Talk that you did that connects to this mission? Bet. Well, Susan, I had to think long and hard about what subject I wanted to discuss at on a TEDx stage. Um, I was very, I feel really honored and privileged that I was asked to apply. If, if anyone out there who is interested in TED and TEDx, it's a major undertaking. They are a super organized organization and you do not enter the effort lightly is my advice to anyone thinking about this. Um, and I... So I did apply and I decided that the title of this talk was called The Real Reasons People Quit. We have this great resignation going on out there. The thing is, I have been doing this work for a long time. I resigned from my work with Olympia in 2011. So that was very much pre-pandemic. And I spend my life in you know, training in corporations and doing my own workshops the profession of assistants are 95 to 98% female. So I spend my life in mostly in rooms of mostly women. And they, as much talking as I do, they talk back to me and they tell me what's really going on 
in the workplace. And it's those conversations that have informed the book. So I've made it my effort over these last years to, the book's been in process for six years. I've been talking with leaders and assistants, certainly, but HR professionals and recruiters who I refer to as the constituencies of the workplace. Those are the four major groups. And then there's still a fifth one, the fifth major group that is that contribute to how the workplace is functioning, how do leaders function? It's business schools, business school professors and deans. And what is the curriculum at business school training the future leaders about how to manage people? And that actually is the heart of the TEDx talk is that I found a piece of research in 2012 that blew my mind. And it was this data point. And Susan, I don't know if this, I'm going to run it by you. Um, and Rob has heard this, of course. The average age that a leader gets their very first training, may I ask you to take a guess? What do you believe is the, very, is the, the age that a leader gets their very first training in managing people? 45. In 2012, it was 42. And in 2021, when the research was done again, Susan, it's 46. So you are really close. You were spot on. And that explained so much for me because I, I sit in rooms of assistance and I will ask the question, how many of you feel well-managed? Yes. And so few raise their hand. And I'm talking seasoned people here. Wow. And their response is so like, uh, you know, if they raise their hand at all, it's very kind of half-hearted. And I, I made it my mission. Like, what in the world is going on here? Why? Why? What is going on here, Bonnie? Why such a blind spot? Rob and I have been trying to figure this one out too. And there it is. So if that's true, and then leaders validate that. Leaders validate to me. I say to leaders, did you learn how to manage people in business school? And they say, nope, sure didn't. <laughs> they tell me this. I, yeah. and, and there are famous people who I'm quoting in the book who say that, that they didn't learn it in business school. But And I'm of a mind that I think they should, you know, yeah. and, and now in the aftermath of the pandemic, I've, you know, I did my TEDx talk for Rutgers Camden in New Jersey. And so I know the people in the business department and the dean, and I know other deans in business schools. And I said, are you changing the curriculum? And they said, yes, they are on the heels of the pandemic, which is great news. Here's the not so great news. It's going to be ready by 2024, <laughs> 2025. You know, it was explained to me that the wheels of academia move very slowly. Yes. Yeah. And I get that. And I get that. So that's where we come in, isn't it? Right. Right. Honestly, exactly. I think that's why podcasts like yours um, and, and the work that I'm doing helps to fill in those gaps for the step. When I tell assistants this piece of research, it makes so much sense to them because it's not that their leaders are intending to be mean or nasty. They're not intentionally trying to do that in all cases. It's simply a matter of lack of education. They don't know how. It's hard to manage people. And it's especially hard to manage people remotely. Mm -hmm. 
Nobody prepared leaders for this to have a workforce that's partly at home, partly in the office, and you never know on which day and how do they organize and how do you keep people safe. And I mean, it's a it's a very chaotic situation right now in 2022. And I believe that the work we're talking about in, in terms of elevating leaders and and talking about the things that need to be said so that the decisions being made right now in 2022, they're going to be sitting, those decisions are going to be sitting with us for quite a while. So I I think there's a lot of precedent being set right now. And I feel a sense of urgency to discuss these issues with people like you so that so that leaders can get cut to the chase and they don't have to wait till 2024 or 2025 to learn it. I just- cringe to, to imagine where those leaders are going to be in 2024 right? the time that, that learning arrives in, in school. Because if it's landing in school, they're still younger leaders. But what about all these leaders that are out there experiencing all of this disruption and for the first time in their lives, realizing that they don't know how to pe- lead people through it. So, I got I to ask you, because we are so obviously aligned in terms of the missions that we're on, trying to stand in this gap between Leadership 1.0 and 2.0. Yes. But um, we always love to ask our guests. So I'd love to ask your thoughts on this, too. What does leadership mean to you? Oh, I've given that one a lot of thought. And what leadership means to me, and, and this comes from watching the most successful leaders, it's not that the most successful leaders have all the answers. In fact, they know they don't have all the answers. Right, yeah. What they do, the smartest ones who I know, they surround themselves with great people. They're not afraid of hiring people who might be smarter than them in certain things. They're not threatened by that. They work to surround themselves with talent, with talented people who care about the mission of the company, and then they give them a runway to to work, to do their thing, to flex their muscles, and to leverage the skills and the talents and the intelligence that they have to be creative. And And the best leaders out there support their people to soar to ideally build better leaders because what I've seen that the, the leaders who invest in the people they decide to hire, those staffers are the ones who, who are proactive. They do things without being asked. They're the ones who run towards a problem, not away from it. They're not the ones looking at their watch and saying, well, I got to go. I don't care what's going on here. You can't buy that. Money, the smart leaders know that money only goes so far with leading, that Mm -hmm. leadership is really about hiring smart and nurturing your people. It, it, It always comes down to the humans, to the people. That's what leadership means to me. I love it. And Bonnie, we touched on it, right? And you said, like, basically leaders are out there, they're getting teams, they're getting groups, and they're not trained on leadership. And they're not necessarily trying to be poor leaders, but they're ending up in these habits that are Mm -hmm. negatively impacting their people. Like, 
Your TED Talk's called The Real Reasons People Quit. Like, what are some of those reasons? One of the top reasons people are quitting, and research bears this out, are toxic workplaces. And toxic workplaces are populated by workplace bullies and sexual harassers. Now, I know that you both are big fans of psychology. You're quoting Carl Jung. (laughs) I am also a fan of psychology. And we know that what psychology teaches us is that bullies are are often clueless and oblivious about the way people are responding to them, mainly because it's so difficult to confront a bully. But bullies in their heads, they believe that by behaving abusively and behaving in a strong way, that's solving a problem. You know, when I've spoken to actual bullies who've admitted it, they say, well, of course I have to behave like that. How am I going to get things done around here? I have to come down hard on them. I have to be critical. Well, actually, you don't. You don't have to do that. But until someone comes along to break the cycle of what they believe, of their belief system, that that I have to be hard on them because it's solving my problem, that may work in the short term. It doesn't work for the long term. And, you know, the biggest, the the clearest metric around that is look at the retention rates. Right. People will run pretty quickly if they're feeling diminished and demeaned and abused. They're not going to stick around. There's no chance I would have stuck around for 25 years if I didn't feel respected, like I belonged, if I wasn't paid properly, and if I wasn't offered opportunities to grow. In my view, and I said this in the TEDx talk, these are the top four things that staff wants. But you asked me, what's chasing them away? What are the real reasons? Mm -hmm. Um, Staff knows everything. So one of the things I point to are unfair rules, rules that are applied to some, but not all. Discrimination is a big one. You know, bias, unconscious bias and overt bias in the workplace. Um, you know, the tech field is, it's pretty well known that, you know, women in tech have to prove themselves three times, five times more than a man in order to get ahead. Um, the whole wage gap thing, you know, to not pay people properly. You know, if leaders think that staff doesn't know what people are being paid in their company, they're fooling themselves. And those are the things that are, that are not being said to leaders, you know, people don't want to, um, you know, shoot themselves in the foot, right? They, mm-hmm. they need another job. So when people quit jobs, they're writing a letter of resignation. They might be having an exit interview, but they're not talking eagerly about the bullying, about the harassment, about the unfair rules or discrimination. You know, you, you prefer white people in our company, you know, like that, those sentences are hard to say. And if leaders are not making it safe for their people to say these things, to reveal what's really going on, these problems are going to continue. They are vicious cycles. And um, my goal is to break these cycles right now, right now. And you know why? And, and I, I've asked Rob this question, but, you know, Susan, may I ask, have you in your life either witnessed or experienced workplace bullying? Do you know what that is? 
Yeah, I'm a very unique example because I've been an entrepreneur my whole life since I came out the gates. And so I'm really lucky that I learned about these things, right, in the context of my schooling. And so by the time it got to the point where I was growing my team, I kind of feel like we had a little bit of a head start on the things that did learn it in your education then. Yeah, well, I think like because I studied psychology, right, and I studied neuro-linguistic programming and I studied beliefs affect the way we feel and that's how you impact the way other people feel, which is what affects their beliefs, which is what affects their behavior, right? So this is my area of specialty. So I've always had a deep appreciation, right, for how important that that is in the context of any team environment. I grew up in sports so that wasn't my experience in my locker rooms necessarily. I would I would say um, going to an Ivy League school even, like that was not my experience necessarily in the classes that I was in. So I kind of had a deep appreciation coming out the gates, right? Studying all of this in terms of the human experience that I feel like informed the way, yeah, that I show up for my teammates now. Right. Would it surprise you if I told you that you're more the exception and not the rule? Not at all. No, I mean, this is, I think, why we've hit the ground running so hard on this mission to affect the leadership space. Yeah, you know, because here's the thing. When women, but men too, because Rob, we talked about bullying among men as well. It happens to both sexes, to all sexes, if you will. And when it happens, I'll ask my students and my audiences, first of all, people remember exactly what happened, right? And they remember it for a long time. And, I, and if they feel traumatized. That's not too strong a word when it comes to that many assistants feel that they're dealing with P, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And they've gone into therapy and they take antidepressants and, you know, there are all kinds of things that manifest as a, as a result of bullying. And I say, how long does the trauma last? The day it happens, the week it happens, the month it happens. And they yell at me. They say forever, forever. And that is so not okay with me. Uh, we have to break it now. Leaders must understand that to do this, you know, we've got this great resignation out there and HR, I'm in touch with recruiters every day and HR people are contacting me because they know I train assistants and they say, send all your candidates to me. We have so many jobs. Well, if leaders want to attract great candidates, then they have to take a hard look at their company culture and the toxic work environments that may exist under their virtual roof or their literal roof but, but very few people have the courage to speak to it. And that has to end. We have to find the way to find the language and reveal what's, what's really going on uh, because we're traumatizing far too many people and it's lasting forever. I don't know anybody for whom that would be okay. And I kind of feel like because we've just all collectively as a global society or family have just been through two years of trauma and navigating this yeah. pandemic, right? People are more awake than they've ever been to this fact that, that it matters how they feel, yes. even in the context of work. 
And therefore they're, they're raising their standards. They're not going to work for those 1.0 led toxic organizations or leaders anymore. And that's the fact, right? We've been saying this is coming to leadership 2.0. It's It's here. So yeah. So if these, if our, if these leaders aren't getting curious and starting to learn about how they're leading their people, the culture that they have, like all of these things that you've been talking about. I can't even imagine that they'll even be around in, in a couple of more years, right? Exactly. I mean, the good news is, I know for me and probably for you, I'm busier than ever. The, yeah. the leaders have caught on. I really tr- I agree with you that we are at a moment right now. I think we have a golden opportunity. The door is open because I've never experienced a time in my career where leaders are so open to hearing new ideas about how do we do it better? How do we, how do we fix what's broken? Because there was a, there's a lot that's broken and it was broken pre-pandemic, but they weren't so inclined to look at it then. They're much more inclined to look at it now on the heels of all the things that have happened during the pandemic. And frankly, I think the shame will be, please let us not get into 2023 and have us still talk about how many things are going unsaid in the workplace, that would be a terrible tragedy. And I'm going to do everything I can <laughs> to keep talking so that so that no one can say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know this was a problem. Well, you're going to know. We yeah. have to tell them. If we have anything to say <laughs> so about thank you. Right? Thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> There'll I got no, Yeah, there'll I be no one problem. left to there'll be no one left <laughs> to manage at that point. Um Right. But yeah, it's it's funny, right? Well, it's not funny, but it's uh, like it's literally what Bonnie mentioned, right? Is like there's that study out of MIT that said that toxic culture is 10 times more likely or more powerful than compensation to result in people leaving organizations. So if leaders are out there and it's like, oh, I'll just give people more money, it's not going to overcome uh-huh. this 1.0 culture. No. The question I ask my students sometimes when they're describing a toxic work culture, and they also say that they're underpaid. And I'll say, <laughs> so if I could ma- wave a magic wand and all of a sudden tomorrow morning, you're making $15,000 more than you're making right this minute, would that make the difference for you? Would you then be okay with staying? And nine times out of 10, they say, no way, I'm out. So if if that kind of increase, of it, then you know that it's not money. Then you know that it's something else. It's it's someone who has disrespected them. You know, Just this morning, true story, talking with a high-level EA of 19 years at her big company that you both would have heard of. And they're having a reorg and they issued a PowerPoint with the with slides of the leadership team. Now the company gives lip service to the idea that the assistant to these high level executives is part of the leadership team. Well, her picture and her name appeared nowhere on the deck. And when she confronted, she addressed it. She asked after 19 years, she felt like, you know, she, she she absolutely earned it without me going into detail. Please know that these people yes. not make much of a move without her. Mm-hmm. She was, they were, and her two executives became very angry with her and said, you, 
inflate your worth and you are not a member of the executive leadership team. And so she gave her two weeks notice after 19 (laughs) years. So she became very clear where she stood. So with some companies, and this is important for your listeners to hear, there's a difference between the words that appear on a website Mm -hmm. about painting what the company culture is supposed to be versus what's happening in the company. And when those two things are the same, I celebrate that and I tout them on social media. And I, I I love celebrating those companies whose words on websites and job descriptions and collateral match what they're actually doing. Wow. So, so good. Where do we start? Where, where do our leaders start? If they're listening to this right now and they're yeah. thinking, I wonder how congruent, right, our, our, our message is in terms of what it is that we put out to the public in terms of the culture we have behind these gates and the actual culture we have behind these gates. Where can a leader start if they really want to assess that gap? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, most companies have marketing departments that's putting who are putting together the materials. One of my students who is black shared with me a really interesting insight. He said that when and he's an experienced EA out of New York, and he told me that when he's assessing whether to apply at a company or not, he looks at the website of a company and if he and he looks at the images. He looks at the videos and the photographs. And if he doesn't see anybody of color, he just decides, he he makes a a judgment that clearly they don't want me. Clearly, they're not interested in people of color. So I'm not applying. So that's an interesting insight for leaders to hear. Look at the website. Look at the language. um, Sometimes websites, you know, there's every website has a careers tab, right? You've seen the careers tab. And sometimes the careers tab is buried at the bottom in the teeniest, tiniest little print. And that tells you something right there, that that to work at the company is not considered a really important initiative of the company. It matters to me if I see the careers tab right up at the top, in, yeah. you know, is with a lot of weight along with, you know, about our company and, and all of that, videos. And uh, it's so interesting, the message that just the look of it says, and then there are the actual words about the, the commitment to things like DE&I and how we, sometimes on careers tabs, it, it really uh, is ironic. Sometimes the language is not about the staff at all. It's, mm-hmm. about, it's about the clients or it's about, you know, that we, we are here to serve our customers. And it's nothing about what the experience of working at this organization is like. Right. So, I shared that in answer to your question, I I ask leaders to consider that and to take a fresh look at at what the website is saying, because is it not true that if if you're considering doing business with a company, you're probably going to Google them and you're probably going to go to the website, are you? Mm -hmm. I mean, I suspect you both went to my website and maybe Googled me and maybe went to LinkedIn and, and somehow you made a judgment about who I am and what I stand for. And I've spent a lot of, I'm a words person anyway, I'm an English and theater major. So I, I just know from my teaching and just working in the world that words matter, don't they? Words, Mm -hmm. images, they matter. 
That's what the first thing I would tell leaders to do, Susan. And then to ask their people. I mean, certainly there's Glassdoor and there's lots of reviews online where uh, people get to share anonymously, what does it mean to work at this company? Um, And those, of course, need to be taken with a grain of salt, those crowdsourced reviews. But there's no substitute for a leader picking up the phone or scheduling one-on-ones with key staff. And some of those key staff are your executive assistants who've been working at the company for 19 years. I promise you, do not overlook that group of people that they know everything. They see and hear everything. That would be initial advice. We know this, eh, from Annalisa on our team. We were joking because she was off getting married last week. It's nerve of her. You're all erupting in our virtual locker room on What's Up this morning, welcoming her back, saying how hard it was without our right hand and how much we missed her and how much we appreciate her, like knowing everything that she does. She makes our world go round and we say that to her all the time. But um, I'm curious if you could describe for our audience out there, since you know from your firsthand experience, from your expertise working with other executive assistants, what ideally are they gravitating towards or seeking in their leadership? What are those qualities or characteristics that they're looking for? They're looking for one-on-one time. That many, as some assistants meet once a day for 10 minutes. Like it's unique to their partnership. Uh, they're, so they're looking for one-on-one time in order to get the answers they need. And the leaders who keep canceling meetings with assistants, it's a, thinking that they're saving time, they're so not. That, that the smartest leaders out there will cancel other things in order to have the 10 minutes with the executive assistant. Because as I would say to Olympia Dukakis, I said, I would say on certain days, Olympia, I know you've got a busy day. If you give me 15 minutes before four o'clock, I'm going to leave you alone for the rest of the week, but I need (laughs) these answers. Okay. So that's the one-on-one time is important. Clear expectations is another thing that are yearning for. May I, I think you'd believe me if I tell you that so many assistants report that the job description that they're actually doing, the things that they do every single day, bear very little resemblance mm-hmm. to the job description that they were given when they were hired. Another it's been gap. every job I've had. <laughs> so it's not gap. unique to that, but, but it's not smart to not, you're not setting people up for success. If the oh, expectations yeah. are unrealistic or they're too generic and too general. So they're looking for clear expectations. They're also looking for ongoing feedback. Uh, Leaders tend to get feedback often. Staff is yearning for feedback. Um, So when those annual reviews come, so many assistants, so many staff are shocked about what they hear at the annual review because those are things that should have been said and identified along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, leaders, but they're not teaching that in business school, to my knowledge, yeah. You need to give your people time, especially in the virtual world. They're looking to be paid fairly. There are far too many uh, assistants in the world underpaid. 
I attribute that in part to the fact that women in general, we're not trained how to negotiate money. Mm-hmm. I don't know when you learned it, Susan, but I am certainly an example of someone who didn't learn until I was in my late 20s at the first start of how to, how to manage money and how to handle negotiations. I mean, where's that class? Right. So teaching that, right? Right. Another gap. <laughs> Another gap. And yeah. where, you know, and I, I'm trying to fill that gap because to successfully negotiate a package, to get to fair, um, you know, my students know I'm not out to advocate, you know, be greedy, take advantage of this great resignation. No, I think we'll be getting, uh, we'll be really successful if we can get to fair, if we can close this wage gap, because if we keep going the way we're going right now, it's going to take, they calculate 200 years to get to fair. That's not okay. It's not acceptable. Yeah. And above all, what assistants want, what all people want is respect. And in the TEDx talk, I point to that as the number one most important thing that people want in the workplace. They want to feel respected. And, and that has a lot of permutations. Respect means saying your first name, you know, Susan, good morning. Yeah. You know, not ignoring you, um, you know, remembering your birthday. Truly. I, I spoke to an assistant yesterday who, who had a sudden death in the family because of COVID and her leader through the two weeks that she was off, it was sudden, it was traumatic. And the leader never picked up the phone once. It was only text messages for two weeks and they'd been working with each other for 23 years. Let me tell you, that assistant is seriously thinking of leaving. Of course. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes, makes that human feel invisible. Like what the heck kind of blind spot is going on there? I, there's just no excuse for that. Right? No you know, excuse. Death makes me uncomfortable. Of course it does. But we're human beings. If we, you know, that's when you find out who's really for you versus, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's super easy to be great when things are fine. Mm-hmm. It, but it's when adversity hits that I think people re- reveal what they're made of. That's what we've been saying through the disruption is you're really, that's why you can't hide out if you're, you're stuck in the 1.0 mindset as a leader, right? Because yeah, it's, it's so obvious. The disruption has kind of exposed all those it has. foundation, right? The humanity 100%. is just so ripe and so raw and so real. So how, how how can you ignore any of these basic human fundamental principles? Yes, even in the context of work. If I was a leader, I would not ignore these things because it is going to make it the difference. It is the difference maker. I'm curious, Bonnie, what do you want the legacy of all this very critical requisite, you know, intel that you're sharing on this very important mission of yours to be? So one of the, uh, in the opening of my book, I have a page dedicated to business students, a special message to business students that you're telling them that one of these days they are going to have a staff and that I want this book to fill the gap for what they need to know about working with their team 
because I, I say no one you can think of got there alone. We're mm-hmm. all standing on the shoulders of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And in the leader's case, those people, those shoulders are your team. Make no mistake about it. So I, what I'm hoping that my legacy will be is that I can move the needle maybe just a little in affecting mindset about what's possible in this workplace. And I call it an ultimate workplace. What can we do? Things like know the power of picking up the phone. If one of your staff has a family member die, it's as simple as that. Show some human compassion that we can't use the excuse of busyness. Um, I have two granddaughters and honestly, when I think of my legacy about this work, I use them as representative of all the young people who are going to be in the workplace at some point, 15 years, in their case, 15, 18 years from now. And when that happens, I want it to be less likely that they're going to be bullied. I want it less likely that they're going to be sexually harassed. I want it less likely that I want them paid properly. I want it. I want the wage gap to be closed or much closer. And I want them to be supported to grow and to be seen for the professionals that they are. And, um, and if I can do that, then, then, uh, you know, I want to look back and say, I made a difference in at least some companies and, you know, then, then it can spin. That's, that's my hope. You're definitely well on your way to that. I was going to say. Thank you. Thank you. I, that means, it means the world to me because I mean every word. I do. We know it. We can feel it. I and do. So can our I, audience. That was, that, that is, that's why Leadership 2.0 is the future of work right? Because like you were saying at the start of your interview with Olympia, right? She was so inspirational. I mean, you speaking your truth, fully vulnerable and authentic is so inspirational. We can feel the sincerity of that. And that's how we know you already are spreading that ripple effect and having that impact in the world. I'm grateful for that. I know Olympia, Olympia passed away last year and, but she's inside me, you know, she was a person who was, she was a woman who was such a great role model for me, be, as such a strong person. And she was the one who did speak the truth. You know, she would speak to that elephant in the room, the thing that everybody was so eager to have said, but no one had the courage to say. And, and she taught me how to, I saw her do it and she taught me how to do it too. And now I teach my students to do it. And they are, and they are, because we need to break these patterns of trauma. It, it's just not okay that we're, you know, it's so ironic, isn't it? Perhaps in your work with leaders, you hear that staff is referred to as body parts. They're referred to as the backbone of the company, right? Yeah. Right arms. They're the right arms to their leaders. They're the eyes. They're the ears. They're the lifeblood. If they're that important, why are we abusing them? Exactly. It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sense. make sense. Yeah. And, and it's not okay. And we have to stop that right now. Well, that's where we're out of alignment, right? 
And that goes right to that question I asked you about that gap. How do we assess that gap? Well, that's how you know, right? Like if we're saying that about what we just said yeah. about Aunt Lisa and our team, she's our right hand, but we're not actually treating her that way by like celebrating her on her special day, then what are we doing? It's just lip service. And may I just add one more point? Yes, please. That in my book, I have a chapter that's literally called, what it's one word, it's ask, ask. One of the biggest complaints worldwide are staff who have leaders who are making major decisions about them and they're never consulted about those decisions. And it is so short-sighted because the staffs of the world are already on the payroll. They're already being paid by you. So it is not, it is to a leader's benefit to access what these people know. What they know is a lot, but they're not gonna say it unless they're asked. Honestly, please trust me when I tell oh, We do, we do. This is happening worldwide. The frustration, how disrespected do you feel? I don't know if that ever happened to either of you where a decision was made about you yeah, and you were not asked. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't you ask me? Like, maybe something better can happen because of it. Mm-hmm. Boy, are we sure glad we asked you on this show. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So that's a huge frustration. I want leaders to ask their staff. If they're in doubt, ask them. Ask them what they think. Ask them what they know. Right? It's not not rocket science. Maybe a little bit of neuroscience, but it's not rocket science. Exactly. Actually, doesn't it get you... That we've been talking, EQ has been a thing, you know, Daniel Goleman, I'm a big fan, but his, his book came out in the 70s. If, he, if everybody knows so much about EQ, why are the, all these problems still existing? So clearly there's an education gap, right? Like, well, I think the gap is between intellectualizing a concept or a theory or a practice, right? And integrating it by actually walk in that talk right and and starting what do I do with behavior. this but that's again why rob and i here at the elite dream team we focus on mindset strategy architecture because we know there's no way you can affect any kind of change or growth or impact your people or your bottom line unless you understand how to affect change at that level right it's not just something that is it, 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 that can come from a textbook and be intellectualized in order to actually land on the ground and effect change. If, if we, I hope we've been successful in communicating that this is not fluffy. This is not just nice to do. You know, I, this is so smart to do. This is requisite. So smart. This is requisite as of as of this moment. Like we just said in time, this is this has now become a requisite part of leadership, a requisite part of business. It's, yeah. it's requisite. We're not going to be able to sustain as yeah. business or leaders without it. You know, nobody said leadership was easy. It is hard. <laughs> and it's, I, and honestly, I don't think it's ever been harder than right now. Wow. We got to get her back. Eh, that's, that's right. We'll, we'll have to have you back, Bonnie. And for those folks out there that want to find more about you, where can they find you? 
Thanks, Rob. Um, my website is bonnielocraman.com. I invite you to look at the images and read the words. <laughs> um, I try to walk the talk there. And um, my book is Be the Ultimate Assistant, as is the class. The, the website pretty much lays it out. Um, I am, I have a, a community, a once-a-month community called Staff Matters, where I invite anyone concerned about this workplace into the conversation, their 90 minute conversation. So there's information on that on the website as well. So I, I want to continue these conversations with leaders and HR and recruiters and assistants. Um, the only way, no, no one group is gonna be able to solve what's broken alone. We need to collaborate in a big way. And I'm just so pleased and honored to be here with the two of you. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you so much. And for us, obviously, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for all your leadership development needs. And please hit subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. Susan, is there anything you want to leave us with today? I'm just so glad we asked. That's a great habit that we have, eh, buddy, as it turns out. But for all of you listening out there, get out and start talking to your people. It's not rocket science. That's the takeaway, right? Is that, yeah, human-centric 2.0 leadership, that's where it begins. It's the relationship that matters most, that carries the most weight in terms of impacting anything in your business. So I really hope our leaders out there today are feeling inspired to get up off their butts, stop just listening to or reading about and start walking that talk and get out there and engage with your people, ask curious questions. They are a well of intel, like you can see with Miss Bonnie here today. I love it. And for me, I obviously have to close on a quote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. And it's from Craig Crippen. And he says, you're be being presented with a choice, evolve or remain. If you choose to remain unchanged, you'll be presented with the same challenges, the same routine, the same storm, the same situations until you learn from them, until you love yourself enough to say no more. Until you choose to change. If you choose to evolve, you will connect with the strength within you. You will explore what lies outside your comfort zone. You will awaken to love. You will become and you will be. You have everything you need. Mm. Choose to evolve. Choose to love. Woo! Everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you all. What a pleasure.